The Cannabis Business Coach. Hi, Mike Z here, author of the Cannabis Business Book. And you're listening to the Cannabis Business Coach Podcast, where I chat with and coach the highest performing entrepreneurs in the cannabis industry. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. The Cannabis Business Coach. Hi, Mike Z here. And on today's episode of the Cannabis Business Coach Podcast, I'm joined by a true pioneer of one of a kind, a queen, and also ace in the hemp industry and the hemp movement, the one and only Joy Beckerman. Joy, thank you so much for being here. And, you know, I I make that kind of joke um, because your company is called Hemp Ace International. And so you're both the queen and the ace, which is you know, it's a good poker hand. So I'm very happy to have you here. And I'm hoping that you could just give a an intro and tell the folks at home a little about your almost, what is it coming up on 30 years as an advocate fighting for the plant, which is just phenomenal. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your service. And, you know, tell the people at home about all the, the many things you do for hemp. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me, Mike, and right back at you in terms of gratitude. Your platform for educating, your many platforms for educating is just a tremendous work, and you're about to, I think, enjoy the fruits of that labor in this legislative session in New York. You know, I owned the first temp store in the state of New York, actually, in the in the mid-90s, but in 1990, uh, I was hit with a flyer at a Grateful Dead show in Foxborough, Massachusetts, with some excerpts from a book, uh, The Emperor Wears No Clothes, of course, by the late, great uh, Jack Herr and edited by Chris Conrad, who remains a prolific cannabis activist uh, with his wife, Nikki Norris, to this day. That book uh, really changed my life. The excerpts that I read on that flyer that day um, affected me on, I guess, what I can only describe as a cellular level, really changed the trajectory of my life. I, at the time, was a young girl, 20 years old, uh, dating myself there, um, and believed that, you know, we were on a collision course to kill ourselves and the planet, but, but we should do so with peace, love, and music on the way to our, you know, inevitable demise. And I got this flyer that day and I read about this plant, uh, this marijuana plant, this cannabis plant. And in fact, back at the time kind of thought, and they are, all forms of cannabis come from, uh, you know, the plant family Cannabaceae and the genus cannabis, but, but we sort of thought everything was, was the same um, at the time. And so I learned about this marijuana plant and that it had all of these uses human and animal nutrition, pharmaceuticals, nutraceuticals, paper, textiles, building materials, uh, biocomposites, industrial sealants and coatings, uh, energy and fuel. And now years later, because back then we didn't even have the ability to, to see things on the nanoscale, a nanometer being a billionth of a meter, and now we can. So, so now it's even, you know, supercapacitors and, and energy storage and all of those nanotechnology applications. But I read about this plant that can do all of these things, 
that historically have done all of these things in more primitive, primitive forms as, as concerns uh, energy and nanotechnology, obviously, and that there was a deep history here in America. In fact, there wouldn't actually be an America uh, without hemp and the role that it played. Um, and then I learned at the bottom of the flyer, you know, by the way, this whole path forward is illegal, like big time illegal a felony. And so this sense of planetary healing and a sense of justice sort of converged in this uh, harmonic way um, and changed my life. So started out with that hemp store and advocacy. Uh, then my children, Phoenix Rising and Spiral Walking and Balance, who are now 26 and 28 and making their way through master's programs, were getting older. So I began a, a dual career in compliance and complex civil litigation as I raised them and kept them in football camp, et cetera. Um, and that of course was a tremendous foundation. And in fact, what I'd studied in college uh, to go on to do just really impactful advocacy work, which is really what I do today uh, with HempBase International, which is an expert witness and, and legal consulting firm, um, but also, I serve as vice president of law and science for the USM Roundtable and on multiple other committees, federal and state lobbying, uh, and just have a multitude of, of, I guess, leadership positions, as one would say, uh, in the hemp world. Um, and if I go on to list them, it just gets to sound crazy, and then people will know exactly how little I sleep. So I'll just leave it at that. My favorite thing to do is to sing the song of hemp and to advocate for common sense science-driven policies and laws across the world, not just the United States. Wow, amazing. I love that. I love that story. And when I hear about those Grateful Dead shows and, and that era and that time, I'm just like, damn, I wish I was around for that. That sounds like so much fun. It sounds like just an amazing blast. A so carnival joy. of education. <laughs> nice, yeah. And I, I, especially now in, in this COVID time, it seems like, when are we going to be able to do stuff like that again? Wow. We're amazing. We're going to get the roaring so, 20s, I think, all over again, brother. So get ready. <laughs> all right. Okay, cool. I'm ready. That's what comes out of the depression. Uh, That's what happened before. And boy, is it going to be a big one this time. Oh, man, I can't wait. That sounds great. Well, uh, hemp for victory there. <laughs> and you know, this time around, it looks like psychedelics are really about to have their moment in a major way. And yeah, maybe we'll, we'll get into that. Um, That's Joy, exactly what I was thinking. Nice. <laughs> I mean, not on this call. I, we can't have this, this, this isn't mushroom tea, unfortunately, no. but <laughs> Joy, I, I, first of all, I just want to say, I love how you said all of that stuff and, and hearing that story is like, it reminds me of, you know, my journey into this space when I first learned anything about cannabis. Didn't I didn't know anything except how to consume it. And then when I learned some of the realities behind it, I was like, whoa, this is this is what I need to be doing with myself. You know, it was like you said, on that cellular level, it was for me that like, oh, this is why I'm alive to to work on this, because it's crazy that this natural resource that can do so much good, not only are we not doing it, but we're actively harming people with using this as an excuse. So for me, it was like, all right, this is it. Uh, so I, I totally relate to that. I know you do a million things and you hold a bunch of leadership positions. 
and you're doing work internationally on bringing hemp into the world in a good way. I'm curious, just like what, what are some things that you're actively working on? What are you most excited about right now? And even like, what's it like to be you and to have to wear so many of these hats and, and have all these different responsibilities and, and projects that you're working on? Just what is that even like? I wish that I had like a meaningful answer. I, I ask myself that sometimes because when you're so in it and, and it's just, I, I hate to use the term constant grind because it's not the connotation that I want to give. It is a relentless mission. Um, and when you're purpose driven, I'm just in it all the time. So I, I think that I just bounce around from meetings to deadlines to crisis management to totally inspiring stories and amazing news. And this is the most exciting time to be alive. I guess, I guess that instead of saying, you know, constant grind um, or relentless mission, I think, I think maybe the reality is if I stop and look at it is I live a really exciting life, man, because the plant is being liberated in a huge way as we are alive in our lifetimes and even this morning. Um, and, and who knows, of course, when our, when our podcast here will air. But even this morning, of course, the United Nations removed cannabis from schedule four in the single convention, the 1961 single convention, which is the foundational underpinning of cannabis cannabis prohibition, and they recognized it for its medical value today. Um, to be me, I think, is to live a very exciting, however heavily obligated, overcommitted life. But I'll take it. It's my purpose. <laughs> I love that. Well, let's, let's circle back to the UN in a minute, um, because I just want to say thank you for, again, verbalizing it so beautifully, because I literally just yesterday was complaining to a friend of mine that I was like, it feels like a constant grind and I want it to feel like relentless mission and why am I not there? And and, and for you to, to, to just put the language behind it that I was like struggling with and to also have that perspective of, hey, this is terribly exciting, which, you know, I'm fully reminded of that in this moment talking to you and hearing it from you so thank you so much for that and and for the folks listening at home it sometimes will feel like a constant grind because there's so much work to do and the fight is far from over and when it is your purpose and your mission you have to be relentless about it and that means even on the days when it feels like a grind summoning that enthusiasm and excitement and and just sticking with it so thank you for that reminder joy um let's let's talk about the un for a second because yes that's huge news i remember i saw the headline this morning and i was like wait seriously this happened i, I hadn't had my caffeine yet and i was like is this for real but talk a little about what that means and the impact of this change and and what might happen next as a result? Right. So what is interesting, and it really cannot go without being said, is that the 1961 United Nations Single Convention on Narcotics 
um, of which the United States was a big proponent slash leading bully of, um, created a schedule to control substances. And, uh, and many countries then began to create their own list of controlled substances, calling the acts different things. The United States is the Controlled Substances Act, and Jamaica, it's the Dangerous Drugs Act. But uh, this mimicking, this duplication then began to happen along the world. But the, but the thing is that the single convention on narcotics was supposed to be specific to medicines, to pharmaceuticals, to drugs, not at all specific to industrial purposes, food ingredients, dietary supplements, specifically only medicine and drugs. And in fact, uh, what Kenzie um, Rubelet of FAT and Michael Kravitz, who I just love, two tremendous international dedicated activists on this, um, you know, often rail on is the fact that the United Nations slash United States put it on and one other thing to understand is that in the United States, Schedule One is our highest schedule under the under the convention, the single convention on narcotics. Schedule Five um, is the uh, is the harshest um, uh, schedule. So in any event, um, but there was no even scientific basis. The United Nations slash United States had put cannabis, marijuana, on the schedule um, in that number without any scientific basis at all. So hemp, as it, as it stands for hemp, we are constantly going to continue to rail against the fact that the, that the single convention on narcotics does not apply to industrial purposes, food ingredients, or dietary supplements. It applies only to drugs. And certainly you can make approved drugs with a hemp plant, Epidiolex being our, a perfect example of that. Um, so, but this situation is tremendous in terms of they're recognized now on a national level, uh, on an international level, the medical value of cannabis, the denial that the D Drug Enforcement Administration and, and whoever these special interests are um, who want to keep the plant repressed and keep uh, this plant out of access of human beings, which of course have an endocannabinoid system that we've discovered in our lifetime, basically akin to discovering the planet is round and not flat. Um, and so what this is going to do then will, uh, will hopefully and inevitably inspire other countries to really take a, a more scientific, less hysterical look at the plant and its promise reschedule and deschedule on, on their ends and then encourage resource. May the floodgates of research open people because this plant is here to make our bodies healthier and our minds and our hearts healthier. Absolutely, amazing. So I'm curious, and again, I know nobody has a crystal ball and uh, I'm, I'm curious if you have a take on, you know, this new administration you know, there's, I've heard some folks say they're like my more optimistic friends think that within two years, we're going to see some kind of significant move in terms of federal legalization in the US. My less optimistic friends say, you know, it's not, not happening in the next four or five years. And I'm curious if you have a take on that or or you know, if you fall into either of those camps or what, what you think about that? Well, hope springs eternal. Um, 
And so I first want to preface this because I always say consider the source. I've been saying in five years since 1990, so that needs to first be said. <laughs> Having said that, time is moving very quickly. Technology is moving very quickly. The consciousness revolution is moving very quickly. And the civil rights movement is on fire and change is coming and I feel it. So I would say we are at a tipping point. Um, the MORE Act, of course, is supposed to be voted on, scheduled for a vote next week, which I think is tremendous. Um, I am gonna, I'm gonna get in the camp with the within two years. Um, certainly within four years, I, I would be willing to place a bet on that. I've lost bets before on this, but, uh, but not under this climate. And I think any, reservation that we are hearing from the Biden administration. Um, I think they can, with education, information, and science and data, uh, be convinced to common sense. I, I, I do believe that. So I'll, I'll stick with it within two years. Nice. Awesome. Awesome. I love it. Vision, brother. You know, it, it took all of these various states to repeal prohibition at a state level for the tipping point to happen at the federal level. And we're already there with medical in terms of numbers of states. And we are certainly getting there with adult use with numbers of states. So I, I think it's, it's coming. It's coming, brother. Right, right, right. Awesome. Joy, I have, I have a fun question for you, which is, you know, obviously we touched on it in the beginning a bit, but you've been able to be a leader in this space for decades now. And you've accomplished things and had impact that not too many others can can say that they've done. So I'm curious, what about you? What is your highest power or superpower that has allowed you to, to, to have that impact, to have that success? You know, I, I really think that it is my relationship with the plant, my my reverence for the plants, my it's totally a love relationship. It is it is so part of me that I I am just so dedicated to delivering on the promise of the full potential of this plant and its purpose on this planet. And I think that it is that deep, just love, that, that respect for the plant, that has to be it. That just has to be it. Because I, I have hard days, I have bad days, um, but, but the reality is that my love and belief in this plant and the, and the mission that I feel that I am on just drives me and helps me to rise above all the crap, brother, it really does. <laughs> and there's crap. There's <laughs> no shortage of it, yeah. But there's no shortage of but that, it. But that's and the fertilizer time, that we grow that, from. Thank you. <laughs> God, thank you for that. Yes. And I was going to say, you know, just to just to sort of put a pin in it, is a lot of times the crap I can I can take hysterical lawmakers and regulators more than infighting within the movements um, or, or malignant sociopathic narcissists that sort of find their way. And they're in every movement. We just seem to, in all forms of cannabis, have more than our fair share. And, uh, and so those are actually the buggers. 
um, that will take up the most real estate in my mind and should be taking up the least. Um, but again, my love for this plant and knowing how dedicated I am to it, it, it just makes me move on to the next task and, and put that crap away. Awesome. I love that. I was going to guess that if I had to guess what the answer is, I was going to say, it's right in your name. It's joy. <laughs> I'm so grateful for that name. Man, has that served me well. My, my parents apparently looked at a book of Jewish names and chose that one. And I, whatever was leading them to choose it, thank you, because it definitely has served me well. Awesome. I love that. That's cool. I want to ask you about New York. You know, recently they proposed a whole bunch of new hemp regulations. And in my opinion, you know, New York has been really great at getting it wrong as far as <laughs> cannabis regulation. And this is the first time where I think they've actually done something right and have been a leader and, and yet there's still, you know, some kind of mixed opinions. And I'll, I'll, I'll gladly admit that I haven't read the regulations in depth. I've just kind of had conversations with folks and, and know at a high level. So maybe you can give a little background on what's been proposed in New York, why it's so meaningful, why so many people are happy and excited about it, and then why a few folks are concerned. So there are, of course, no set of regulations, particularly with an emerging revolutionary industry on the heels of hysterical prohibition, um, are going to be perfect. And I'm not shocked at all that you haven't poured through the 63 pages of New York's new cannabinoid hemp regulations. Um, I, of course, have married them, had children with them. I practically divorced them already. Um, uh, and what I'll say is, New York is really excellent in engaging in industry stakeholder um, engagement and, and interests and needs. And the executive branch really did an outstanding job doing that with these uh, before even the proposed, of course, regulations were issued. And now we're in a public comment period. Um, they have taken an amazing approach, have been incredibly brave and empowering to the hemp extract uh, community, keep in mind, these are cannabinoid hemp regulations. So they really are specific to uh, ingestible, not cosmetics, but food and dietary supplements that contain or are being marketed for, for cannabinoids or that contain cannabinoids. So this doesn't apply to hemp grain, this doesn't apply to fiber, uh, and it doesn't apply to cosmetics that have cannabinoids in them. It applies to items that we are ingesting as food and dietary supplements. The fact that New York is, is creating this framework which leans upon the existing code of federal regulations for food additives and food products and dietary ingredients and dietary supplements, um, and, and they have recognized, you know, in process hemp extract and it may have made room for that. They have done a million things right here and are really setting a, a tremendous path uh, for the FDA to take and certainly for other states. Um, you know, where, where the rub is, is that uh, flour, hemp flour to smoke um, is off the table in these proposed regulations. So there are farmers who are very upset and disappointed about that. Um, 
the farming community, of course, is suffering. We've had increased farm bankruptcies just in agriculture in general, which also lead, by the way, to increased suicide, a, a very dark underbelly of agriculture in the United States that is not talked about very much. But I want you to know it's such a big deal that there are three different agencies within the USDA that deal with farmer stress and an active piece of legislation to increase funding to those three agencies to deal with the increased farmer suicide. So we've got farmers here that were getting, you know, $40 an eighth, truly for high quality smokable hemp. Um, and they're being told that they can't do that. So there's certainly a major concern there. Um, and there are certain tweaks and issues. Um, certainly the USM Roundtable is preparing a tremendous set of comments. Um, I'm also very honored to be uh, the chair of the Hemp Regulation Subcommittee for the New York and Hudson Valley, New York City and Hudson Valley Cannabis Industries Association. And we're preparing comments, different groups, different priorities, different things. Certainly New York is gonna lob on to uh, this, this issue with flour. Um, and issues around, there was originally going to be an age restriction and the industry was able to get that age restriction out. So you wouldn't be able to buy CBD unless you were 18 years old, just utterly insane um, and really just hurt the emerging market, hurt the farmers, hurt the consumers who are clearly demanding access to these products. And they want safe quality assured products that are properly labeled and that someone's mining the store. And in the absence of the FDA, and when we talk about exciting things that I'm working on, you know, a federal bill, uh, that that the U.S. Hemp Roundtable, along with the dietary supplement industries, have um, going in Congress right now. Uh, HR 8179 is a big deal for that, really begging the FDA at this point. They have so much safety data. They need to create a regulatory framework for these hemp extract products to be allowed to be marketed as dietary supplements and food in the, in the same way and regulations um, that New York is with, with the various tweaks uh, that we're asking. So, and one other example of, of another tweak that we really want to change is um, that they still want to, the Department of Health maintain control over where these products would be sold in the store, such as potentially behind the counter, you know, with the ephedrine and the cigarettes and the alcohol. Um, so no thank you to that. It sends the wrong message. It's going to hurt sales. It's going to hurt tax revenue, which inevitably will go on up to Albany. Um, and that's always a driver, but it's going to hurt farmers, consumers, small businesses, and really the industry that New York is working so hard here to encourage and to empower. And, and again, overall, I give New York an A plus. They've done an outstanding job. And yes, like all new regulations under these incredible circumstances, there are some things that need to change. And so that's what this public comment period is for, and we'll we'll see how it goes. Awesome, I love that. Um, you mentioned how this kind of paves the way for the FDA, and also that you're working on some legislation uh, to to regulate. It sounded like cannabinoids, maybe hemp derived cannabinoids for for food and dietary supplements. Uh, on a federal level. And I'm curious if that were to happen, you know, when that, when that happens, is that going to open the floodgates to, you know, the, the crafts, the PepsiCo's, the, you know, the big food companies of the world to start using cannabinoids as functional ingredients? Because I, I remember I was at a future of food tech, ag tech conference, must have been two years ago, 
and all the big food brands were dying to learn about CBD. And they were, you know, I remember a person from Hershey said, as soon as we're allowed to, we're going to start putting this in our chocolate. And so, you know, it's my understanding that it's just, they can't mess with the FDA. They don't want to, you know, play around with that. But as soon as they have the green light, you know, they're going to go to town with cannabinoid ingredients in their products. Um, is that, am I, am I here? Am I understanding that correctly? And also, what do you think the timeline of something like that might be? So I first want to say that this particular bill, uh, the Hemp and Hemp-Derived Cannabinoids uh, Market Stabilization Act of 2020, I believe is sort of the, the nickname of the bill, is really specific to dietary supplements and does not seek a pathway to food ingredients. But keep in mind that that's because it's a democracy when you're working with a coalition. And, and the FDA is, is less likely right off the bat to want to deal with hemp extract or its cannabinoids as a food ingredient because you can't really rate. I, you know, if we put five milligrams of CBD in every Pringles chip, I'm, I've been known to eat a full-on sleeve of Pringles, brother. If I'm going for it, I'm going for it. And, and so that is, is scary to the FDA as opposed to a dietary supplement, which they can set a daily limit, which is, you know, they just don't do that for food. They do that for, uh, for dietary supplements. And what, just side note, another very brave thing that New York has done is set a limit of 25 milligrams of CBD in food products, food and beverage products, and a limit of 3,000 milligrams of, and, and I shouldn't just say CBD, it's 25 milligrams of total cannabinoids. We'll get to the FDA in a second, sorry. 25 milligrams of total cannabinoids per food product and 3,000 milligrams of total cannabinoids for a dietary supplement product, which of course could be used by multiple people in a family or over a period of 30 or 60 days, depending on you know how many people are using it, how much you're using per day. So very brave that they've done that. Um, so in any event, this one seeks dietary supplement. Having said that, through the sausage making process of congressional bills, it may very well be that other legislators and their stakeholders get into it and it, it is amended over time to include food and beverage. It very well could. Um, but to answer your question, yes, uh, that is what it means. And I think it, probably one of the most important things to drive home here is that we live in a developed country and other developed countries, um, and the European Union, which of course is composed of multiple member states and the UK, which is out of the European Union, or at least as of January will be, um, have you know, processes to prove that your food or your dietary ingredient is safe or your food ingredient is safe. And so this legislation is basically asking for us to be allowed to be a, a dietary supplement, which means that we would then be subject to the Code of Federal Regulations and, and law around new dietary ingredients. And we, I would go off on a tangent if I told you why we can't prove that we are an old dietary ingredient, which is also a, a defined uh, term because we cannot prove uh, to anybody's current satisfaction that hemp extract was already in the food supply, even though we have recipes from 1475 in Italy with basically a recipe to decarb uh, hemp and make it as a tea. But in any event, 
because of that, we're a new dietary ingredient. And, to, and that requires an NDIN, a new dietary ingredient notification with the FDA. So the bill is saying, FDA, direct the FDA to use their authority to allow this substance to be marketed, these substances to be marketed as dietary supplement subject to new dietary ingredient requirements. And, and how does this answer your question? It's expensive to do that. Um, just to do a self gross generally recognized as safe process, it's gonna cost somewhere, a company somewhere around $280,000 per ingredient. The good news there is that if you wanna move forward to a new dietary ingredient notification, you only have to spend about another 30,000 more. But I guess what I'm saying is when it comes right down to it, the people who are going to be selling these extracts are going to have to invest ultimately once there is, once the FDA either comes up with their own framework or they're directed um, to do it by the legislature, the, the Congress, I should say. Um, it, only, only folks with money are gonna be able to meet those, be able to prove safety. And so it will be those larger companies or those more well-funded companies. And I hope that they're smaller, but they will still be well-funded. And then they become the suppliers, right? Of manufacturers that are manufacturing hemp extract products with these ingredients that have been proven safe. And then brand owners buying them from those manufacturers. But, and then timeline, when the farm bill was signed, the 2018 farm bill was signed, that was December 20th, 2018. So we're going on two years. And, and at the time, the then acting commissioner of the FDA, um, Gottlieb, you know, said, hey, we, we hear, clearly Congress wants us to create a pathwork, a regulatory pathwork for CBD. So we'll get on that. And then in the following months, you know, basically it was like, this is gonna take two to five years because we have to prove safety, blah, blah, blah. They've had the open comment period, which they reopened indefinitely, which is not necessarily a good sign, an indefinitely open comment period. Um, but they're gathering information. Um, they clearly seem to be driven by pharmaceutical interests, I will just say, the FDA, and continuing on with hysteria. And when, you, when you're looking for problems, you're going to find them. And Martin Lee... Um, of Project CBD, who is just a hero of mine, wrote an article uh, in the last six months or so called Desperately Seeking Harm, Diagnosing the FDA's CBD Problem. Um, so timeline is, I think it's going to be, and they don't want to be directed by Congress. And believe me, the FDA is lobbying Congress just as much as the hemp industry and dietary supplement industry is. And they're saying, no, don't force us. We really have to prove data. We're really concerned about liver toxicity here because yes, there are research out there that in human, and it's certainly rodents as well, but in some human limited clinical trials, sure, with very high doses. And by high doses, I'm talking 1500 milligrams of pure CBD isolate a day in people who came into the study with existing liver toxicity or with contraindications because they're using drugs, yes, they showed some increased liver toxicity. Um, again, with these gigantic doses of pure isolate uh, and existing issues. So um, I think it's going to be Congress that's gonna have to continue to put the pressure on them. I don't think the FDA is, is I think they'd wanna take the full five years and then still string us along. That's what I think. So I, I think it's going to be Congress 
And hopefully we'll see something in the next year or so. Understand too, and I apologize to, to elaborate on this. It's just such a point of, of issue right now. Um, is that uh, they do have draft enforcement discretion guidance that has been sitting with the Office of Management and Budget at the White House for months now, and it, they haven't released it yet. So there's something there. I just and and hope if it's bad, then I'm glad it hasn't been released yet. Um, if it's good, release it. So just a lot of stuff and other other signs that the FDA gives that they're slow walking this process, such as a request for proposal for lab quotes to help them test 1,000 to 3,000 products on the market and the existing dietary supplement coalition folks who are, you know, understand the FDA and their workings now for, for decades or at least since the Dietary Supplement Health and Education Act passed in 1994 say that is a surefire sign of a, of a slow walk when they put out the request for proposal to test all these thousands of products. That's, that's a tactic that the FDA uses. So we just have to keep putting the pressure on. And New York is being a real hero here in applying pressure. They're really doing a solid. Just need to fix some stuff, that's all. Wow, amazing. Thank you for all that insight, Joy. I wanna ask you, you know, staying on the topic of the future, I'm gonna ask you uh, about, you know, when, what's it going to take for, for cultural, you know, society-wide change? And, and what I mean by that is, you know, you and I know about all of these amazing uses that you mentioned earlier about, you know, hempcrete, hemp paper, hemp batteries, hemp supercapacitors, all, all of the stuff, replacing cotton, replacing uh, petroleum, all of these things, plastics, you know, all of these things that we know that hemp can do better and in a more eco-friendly way and more sustainably. What's it going to take for mass adoption, for, for things to shift into the hemp standard, if you will? And, you know, what needs to happen for that to happen? Is, is it a money thing? Is it a, is it a demand thing? Is it a policy thing? Is it all of the above? Like, how, how's that going to unfold? And how do we speed up that process? So I have good news for you. Um, everything that it takes is happening. Everything that you mentioned is yes, part of that process. And it's working in tandem, one foot in front of the other, all at the same time. And that beautiful alchemical mixture is occurring as we speak. You're a part of it, I'm a part of it. It's happening as we record this show. Education of the consumer, which then creates the demand by hemp, by hemp, by hemp. You wanna help the hemp movement? Buy hemp, demand hemp. When you buy hemp, you are showing your demand for hemp. And there's lots of hemp out there to be purchased now. Um, infrastructure, 
And this is where we talk about one foot in front of the other working in tandem. We're asking farmers to grow a crop for which there's very little infrastructure. We're asking uh, investors to invest in infrastructure for which there is only a little bit of growing crop because you know, growing hemp for cannabinoids are different than growing hemp for fiber, which have you know their own characteristics and genetics and beautiful pedigreed seeds and more genetics being developed all the time around the world for various climates and photo periods. And then of course, hemp for grain. So we have these three types of hemp, hemp extract, hemp fiber, hemp grain. And there are certainly dual types as well, but, but we need the infra, we have a lot of infrastructure for botanical extraction in the United States. So that, that sort of was an easy one. And frankly, on a spiritual level, as much as CBD takes up all the air in the room and tends to take over every conversation. And, and as we can see, it's practically taken over our podcast. And there's, there's lots of resentment around that from the fiber and oil seed folks. And, and we've all been fiber and oil seed people until the last six years when the hemp extract thing hit us like a ton of bricks. But again, from a spiritual level, I see that CBD had to come in now to create the awareness because there are people that I speak to and I can inspire them by talking about how we can have higher quality paper that can be recycled a hundred more times, be made acid-free, doesn't need to be bleached and poison the water table, doesn't need the chemical breakdown to break down wood cellulose for pulp. It's such a superior product and I could say that in each of the industries and tell you why blending with hemp is, is better, superior in, in every way. But when someone who hasn't been able to sleep or someone whose shoulder pain has kept them awake or in an irritable state with people they love for six months, six weeks, six years, and that quality of life issue is relieved for them, they are paying attention. And it's through those audiences uh, that we get to tell more of the story of hemp. And it has given us just this tremendous lens and platform and, and loudspeaker to do that with. And the botanical extract industry has, of course, allowed for the infrastructure to build on some level. There was, you know, we could go off on the terrible hit and the overproduction in 2019. And oh my God, the biomass and the 55 gallon drums of extract sitting around across the United States that haven't been sold. Yes, there was an overproduction. But generally speaking, there is wealth that is being created. And it is, it is allowing for uh, other infrastructure to come in and through the education and through the army of activists that are out there and advocates. And there's more and more every day doing tremendous work. I can't keep up with them anymore. I'm just, I'm just trying to acknowledge them as soon as I become aware of them and their work um, that are getting into the existing industries, car parts, plastics, fuel, uh, all of these things and, and teaching them about hemp. So they need to start demanding it and blending it. But it's education, it's law and regulation. I mean, and it is unfolding so fast here. I, I don't, I, I feel that it would be wrong for me to say we need to go faster. This thing is unfolding beautifully and the, and the universe is unfolding as it should. Everyone just needs to find their purpose and get to work as long as we all do our job. Uh, you know, we'll get this thing done. There's a there's a concept in in Judaism. I'm talking so much about being Jewish. I'm like barely. I, I'm culturally Jewish, guys. I'm more of a, a Buddhist, you know, hippie, really. Um, but there's this wonderful concept in Judaism called tikkun olam. In fact, 
coincidentally or, or synergistically, the very first medical dispensary, medical cannabis dispensary in, in Israel is actually called Tikkun Olam. But um, it basically is the repairing of the world. And, and I look at it as, you know, it's not my responsibility to repair the whole world. It's my responsibility to do my part in the repairing of the world. And if everyone just does that, we're, we've got this. It's happening. It's unfolding. Awesome. I love that. Well, Joy, thank you for that. I, I want to shift gears into the coaching piece. So tell me, Joy, what is a current business buzzkill or challenge that you're facing or dealing with? So I think that the biggest one is I hate to use the term bad actors in the hemp extract space, um, but it's a combination of bad actors in the, in the space and well-intended, but very ignorant and unsophisticated actors. And by unsophisticated, I mean like literally no awareness that in the most developed country in the world, um, there are codes of federal regulations if you're engaged in the manufacturing of cosmetics uh, food or dietary supplements. And so you're regulated. Um, so I think that, and, and I think also maybe trying to explain to folks who are, who have not been in hemp, but they're in, in other forms of cannabis, how there are some ways that there's a round peg and a square hole there. Um, because when, when we deal with adult use cannabis, because the feds aren't recognizing it at all, or medical cannabis, there are all kinds of things and ignoring of the code of federal regulations um, that go on, that once you're a legal crop, a legal agricultural commodity, um, it, you have to start pay, you're regulated. You have to start paying attention in it. So, and so it's difficult to explain that to folk, getting, getting over that hump and communicating, moving from totally not being regulated at all to being highly regulated and, and trying to get folks to just, just embrace that somehow. Oh, did I just say that? To embrace being controlled. <laughs> So I, I'm hearing that the challenge is to, to help folks embrace regulation and being controlled. What? Being regulated, I guess. I guess control is such a bad, is a bad choice of words. I apologize because we're getting, we're out of the Controlled Substances Act, but now we're highly regulated. As I always said, you get, I've said for years, once the DEA goes away, the FDA is going to be there waiting for us. So yes, brother, the FDA is here. Whether, right. whether they want to say we're legally marketing our products or not, if we are engaged in the United States in the manufacture of cosmetics, food, or dietary supplements, we simply are regulated. And, and how to get folks to embrace that. Yeah, so I'm, I'm curious, why is that important for you to get people to understand that and to embrace that? Oh, okay, because it's very important that we don't destroy the industry before the FDA has come up with a regulatory framework. And by putting out unsafe, untested, false label claims, unsubstantiated claims um, out there to American consumers, it's very dangerous to this promising and emerging industry. It's dangerous to farmers, to people, to businesses, to states, 
um, to the court systems. So it is very important that folks understand that safety and, and quality assurance here in the United States is a thing and let's get with it. And then I guess the other part is that the companies that are fully aware of this and have no choice but to comply, either because that's their ethics and their standards or they're publicly traded, whatever it is, companies generally speaking want to and understand that they need to comply. And guess what? It costs hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars, depending on the size of your company, to comply. And so when they have to share shelf, shelf space with folks who have no eye to compliance and or quality assurance, and in fact are putting out unsafe or unsubstantiated claim products out there, it's unfair. So between the danger of all that it can affect and all of the people and sectors of society, and I, again, mostly our farmers who we need to be concerned about the most, and that it's unfair to the companies that are do invest in compliance, it's a problem. I hear that. And I see that it's two o'clock Eastern. I want to make sure I get you to your call on time. Uh, we could always do a part two in the future. I'm just going to thank you for, for being so delightful, for sh sharing and spreading the joy everywhere. And, and especially singing the song, the hemp song that we need to hear. So thank you so much, Joy. It's been such a pleasure today to, to chat with you as always. Michael, right back at you on every level, brother. And I'm looking forward to our next encounter. Thank you for everything that you do and you stay healthy. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. The Cannabis Business Coach. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. The Cannabis Business Coach.